Romans chapter 13, and I'm going to do the unheard of this morning. We're going to be looking at seven verses. It's half the chapter. Let's start in verse 1 here. It says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists, resists the power, resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can open your word here. I pray that you'd give us understanding, wisdom this morning as we look into your word, that you'd give me the words to speak and cause me to be invisible and people to, to uh, just see your word and see what you would have us to see from this text, Lord. Just thank you for this time. Thank you for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. In the name of Christ, amen. So let's do our, our typical review. Um, obviously, chapters 1 through 11, Paul deals with his doctrine, what he calls his gospel. Um, he, he expounds on the gospel, what the, what the gospel is and the implications of the gospel. Um, and then once he starts in chapter 12, he, he gets more into the practical application of what the way you should act if you believe Romans chapter 1 through 11. Um, and he deals with in Romans chapter 12, as we saw, how we should use our gifts and talents to those within the church, how we should be serving one another within the church. He deals with what, how we should react when persecution comes to us. And now he's almost changing his subject, where he is changing the subject right here. Um, and to get, I'm going to get into my intro right here. I have a little intro, then I'll give you the, the, the points. So now, even though there aren't necessarily chapter breaks, Paul, when writing this, he didn't write verses, he didn't write chapters, he just wrote one letter. Um, there aren't chapter breaks in the original. We get, we get a, our chapter break here because Paul is changing the subject. He goes from how we should be serving within the local church and how we should respond to persecution to now how we should act in a civil society in respect to our government. How we should act towards our governing forces outside of the church. What's interesting to me on this is it's not much different than how we should act towards the governing forces within the church. So let's get into it here. I have three points. They're not alliterated or anything, but the first point is submit to higher authorities. The second point is purpose and role of those authorities. And the third point is to pay for those authorities. So the first point here, which should come from verses 1 and 2, it says, submit, the point is submit to higher authorities. Paul says, let every soul 
be subjected unto the higher power. Now this is, this is every person. Every person is to be subject to the higher powers. Though Paul here, he uses the word suke, which is, which is soul. He is speaking about the persons. And it says that we are to be subject unto the higher powers. By higher powers, I don't know if any of y'all have been through AA or been part of AA or you know anybody. It, this is not talking about just some false god. But it's talking about governing officials. Not just submit to whatever higher power you can think of. He's talking about governing officials. And by subject, it means that we are to submit to them. Or we are to be put under them. Or be under obedience to them. That's what the word means. And that is what the apostle is commanding here. He's telling those within the church of Rome to obey the government. They are over you. And you are to submit to them. Which means to be under obedience to them. Now, it's crazy to me that this is some, somewhat controversial today within some Christian groups, right? How some Christians almost want to act like anarchists and argue that we aren't to obey the government because they're tyrannical and that government is a bad thing. Can they be tyrannical? You bet you. Does Paul say obey unless they are tyrannical? He doesn't. Does Paul say only obey if they are a Christian-run government? He doesn't. He says very plainly to every soul to be subject unto the higher powers. Now let me balance this out as well. It is a fact that we are to be submissive to the government. That's a fact. They make a law, we should obey it. However, if they make a law that goes against the ordinance of God, we are not to obey it. We are to be subjected to the higher power, and since God is the highest power, if He commands something and our government commands the opposite, we obey God. Remember Paul, or Paul, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4? Let's actually turn there. Acts 4. In verse 1. And it says, And as they spake unto the people, this is Peter and John, the priests, right here, page is turning, I'll wait a second. Acts 4 and verse 1. says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now evening time. When it says they laid hands on them, this is not talking about like the Pentecostal brothers and sisters laying hands on people, trying to heal people. It's that they laid hands on them and they arrested them. That's what happened. They got arrested right here. And look down at verse 18 in the same chapter. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. 
Peter and John arrested for preaching the gospel. When told to stop speaking or teaching about Jesus, what was their response? We cannot. Because these are the governing officials, aren't you supposed to obey them? No, God is the supreme governing official. And when, he command, when you command me to disobey him, I disobey you. And whether you like this or not, our governing document in the United States supports this teaching in the Word of God. Our First Amendment states, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble. Our government is bound by its own governing, governing document. Our nation, against the popular opinion on our day, is a constitutional republic, not a democracy. The Constitution is the law of the land, not the popular group of men and women. So we not only have the Word of God that tells us to obey God rather than men, we have our own founding document of our nation that states the same. Not very often you hear me speak on this, but it's here. And this is the case in, in, in the exercise of our religion, our obedience to God. No law that forces me to disobe disobedient to God should be obeyed. We can also see a clear example of this in the book of Daniel on multiple occasions, right? The first one I think of is, you know, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. You're like, who's that? I've never heard of them. You probably remember them as Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, but that was their slave names. Nebuchadnezzar set up a golden statue of himself and all those in the land were to bow down and worship it. It says, and, and this is the language in Daniel, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. But those that didn't worship, those that did not bow down and worship, were to be immediately cast into a furnace of blazing fire. These men disobeyed the decree by Nebuchadnezzar. And we, would, we know what happened, right? When Nebuchadnezzar questioned them on this matter, their response is what ours should be. Hey, listen to this. This is great. It says, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we, will, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But even if He does not, let it be known to you, O King, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship your golden image that you have set up. They're standing in front of the greatest king, the greatest man on earth at the time. And saying, I will not obey you. These men were like, we totally trust that Yahweh will protect us from you. But even if we are to die, we will obey God rather than men. Unfortunately, we do have examples of the opposite of that throughout history. And we don't have the time to suffice to go through those examples. But if you would, take, take, take some time out of, out of your day and read through something like the Fox's Book of Martyrs. 
You'll see men and women of many generations being murdered for obeying God. So yes, we are to obey the government, but more importantly, we are to obey God. So the command would be to obey the higher power, and since God is the highest, we obey Him over all. Notice what, what it says to those that resist obedience to the government. I'm going to go back and read it. Let every soul be subjected unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. To those that are resisting obedience to the government, they're resisting the ordinance of God. That's what he says. That's what Paul says. God ordains the powers that be. So by resisting them, you are resisting God's ordinance, and the result is what does it say? KJV says damnation. But it's condemnation or judgment. This is not talking about eternal damnation, but condemnation by the law. If the government has a law that you are breaking, you will receive judgment for from that, from them. So you should not be surprised if you get arrested for breaking the law, right? It shouldn't make you angry or take you by surprise if you're speeding and you get pulled over, right? If you're stealing and get judgment in return. God has ordained them and promised that if you disobey them, you are disobeying Him and will receive condemnation by the law. But now your mind goes, well, doesn't it say in Romans 8 chapter, or chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It does say that and praise God for that. We will receive no condemnation by God in a punitive sense due to our sins because they have all been taken away in Christ. This does not mean that condemnation won't come to you in this world by the law if you break it. So if you go rob somebody, you can't just be like, well, there's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. That may be true in the eternal sense, but not in the finite sense. You will most likely pay for your crimes here because the government, first of all, is not God. But also these laws, these are laws we are to abide by here and are ordained by God. So if you have a problem with government, completely, I, we should have no government, I'm an anarchist, we should have no government, then you have a problem with God's ordinances. We are to submit to them. Let's move on to our next point. The purpose and role of these authorities. There's a hair or something sticking off that. It's driving me crazy. The purpose and role of these authorities. We can see this in verses 3 through 5. I'm going to read those now. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Brother Paul must not have known about our government, right? He must not have known about our government here in America when he wrote these words. 
I mean, the Roman government was probably way better than ours, right? <laughs> Not quiet. The thing about this is this is the Word of God. This is not just some nomad out there writing a letter to the church at Rome. This is coming by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. So it's God speaking. God sets up the governments of this world. But what about the wicked ones? What does this say? The powers that be are ordained of God. It made me think of a, a, it's a proverb. I don't have it in my notes, but it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever it may go. God's in control of it. God raises up governments. God brings down governments. I may not understand what about the wicked ones, but what I won't do is argue against it. God sets them up and he puts them in place to do what is spoken of in verses 3 through 5 here. To be a terror to those that do evil and to praise those that do good. Now you say, our government doesn't do this. And you may be absolutely right. However, that is the purpose of government. The purpose of government is not to redistribute wealth. The purpose of government is not necessarily even to take care of the poor. Or to take care of the widows and orphans. Whose job is that? Ours. The role of the government and the purpose of the government is not to teach your children. We have a big problem with that, don't we? I probably make a lot of people mad when, when they start talking about public school systems. And their kids are in the public school systems. And I say, I wish all the public school systems were completely shut down. Sorry, Amy. <laughs> um, I forgot we had one that worked in the public school system <laughs> but that's my opinion the purpose of government is not to teach your children that's your job your job is to teach your children husbands and wives fathers and mothers we wonder why Maybe a generation goes by the wayside when we send them off to the government to, to teach them. What is it uh, Vody said? You send your children to Caesar and you act surprised when they come back as Romans. That's my little rabbit trail. This here is the reason that government was set up by God. It's to punish evildoers and to reward those that do good. And you may think of it as crazy or old school or whatever, but I believe this is the only thing our government should do. This is the purpose for which God establishes governments, and that's what they should do. And it's interesting here, God calls government His deacon. When it says he is the minister of God, that's the word diakonos. That's the same word that we use for the deacon within the church. The government is God's deacon. And this kind of gives us a picture of this, right? The church could be seen as God's pastor and the government could be seen as God's deacon. The government is not to be teaching the word of God to the people. That's the church's job, right? 
We've been through this in the past in America. Well, not in America, before America was founded, the, the government wanted to overrun the church. His reason that our nation was founded because the government had taken over the church and the true believers wanted out from under their oppressive hand. And it's interesting that when God commands something and we disobey it, how things become harder, don't they? God sets up government to punish evildoers and to reward them that do good. However, governing officials take the power to their heads and for the love of money, they want their hands into everything. And that's where we are today, right? They're in everything. And they ought not to be. And one thing we can know about this is that our system that we have set up right here will crumble one day. Because they're in disobedience to God's word. God says, I set you up to do this, and you want to overreach your bounds. You want to do more than what I've said. You want, to, you want your hands in everything. That's not your job. It's going to crumble. And not just for the fact that they are in everything, because government control is real, right? It's in about everything you read or watch. You try to watch anything on television, you know government has some say in what's being shown. You know, if you get on the internet and try to read anything in the United States, you know government probably has some reach in all of that. But also in the fact that government doesn't get to say that something that God calls evil is good. And we have a government that does that, don't we? Our government is most certainly proficient in that language. God calls murder evil. And they say it's okay to murder babies. They just try to redefine what a baby is. Exactly what was done in the slave trade in Nazi Germany, right? To the blacks and to the Jews. God calls homosexuality an abomination. Yet our government praises it. Even so much as taking a rainbow flag, which is the sign of God's covenant that he will not destroy the earth due to the pride of man, and they fly it on the government building. Sometimes it makes me astonished at the patience and long-suffering of God to put up with that kind of stupidity. He is much more patient than me. And praise him for that, or we'd all be dead and in hell. But back to this, when God calls something evil, our government has no right to say that it's good and vice versa. They are just to uphold His word. They are to bear the sword. And I believe this could go with our previous chapter. Remember, Paul closes up the previous chapter. It says, give place to wrath. And God says, vengeance is mine. Well, here's one way in which He takes out His vengeance. is through the sword of the government. However, even when our government fails in this, God's justice will still be paid out for evildoers. Nobody gets away free. And therefore, we are to submit to the government because they are God's deacon to you who do good. But he is also God's sword-bearing deacon to those that do evil. 
Notice, though, that this isn't just something that we are to obey because of fear of wrath. It says, but because your conscience also tells you that it's right and wrong. He says it in verse 5. Just, he says, wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So your conscience tells you what's right and wrong. And this goes back to Romans chapter 2, doesn't it? When Paul gives us, goes through this thing to, to display that all mankind is guilty before God. He says, first look at creation. You know you're created. You know there's a creator. And you know you've sinned against him. And then he goes into Romans chapter 2 and he says, and we all have a conscience that tells us to do right and wrong. You say, what about the person in the third world country that's never heard about our God? They know to do right and wrong. They know it's not right to, you know, the cannibals to, to kill and eat people, right? They know that it's not right. God gave us all a conscience, and because of this, we know it's wrong to murder, to lie, to steal. We don't really need written out laws to obey this. We know it's wrong, and when we do what we know is wrong, we should expect punishment. Even as Christians. In this world, we obey the laws or we get punished. And that's the fact. And it shouldn't surprise us. Though in the courtroom of God, we stand innocent, acquitted of all charges, and now adopted into the family of God, we must still obey this world's governments or be punished. And we should be rewarded for doing good. And we know as Christians, we will be rewarded by God as well. However, our government is actually supposed to do this. So we should fear if we disobey and rejoice when we obey. And go to our last point here is to pay for those authorities. In verses 6 and 7, it says, For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. It's interesting to me that I've, and I'm sure you've heard this too, but there's this thought that all taxation is theft. I've heard it many times. Taxation is theft. According to God, it's not. And since God defines what theft is, we should take His word on it, right? Here He says, it says in the KJV, it says, pay you tribute. The word for tribute literally means, and your Bible might say, it's tax. It's to pay taxes. It's a command by God to pay taxes. Wow. If you'd have told me that when I first became a Christian, I might have walked away from the faith. <laughs> How much tax? Well, that's up for debate. But I don't think for a second it should be more than what you pay in a tithe. Let me put it like this. In the Old Covenant, God set up a tithe, which means a tenth, and it was from everything. So let's just, let's just go. It was 10%. So I believe the government should not be taking more than that. If they are ministers of God, as it says, why would that minister get more than the priest in the Old Covenant or the church in the New? 
They shouldn't. But like I said, this is, that's a debatable point. We could debate that till we're blue in the face. However, what is not debatable is that we pay taxes. It literally says, because of this, you also pay taxes. Then goes on to say, render to all what is due tax to whom tax is due. God was not against taxes to the government. He is for it. So I would say, watch how you complain about this. Yes, I do believe our taxes in, in our current country, are, are, they're out of hand. But this is really due to the fact that our government is out of control. We pay taxes so they can study some species of frog in Alabama. We pay taxes so private jets can fly all over the world and decry global warming, right? We pay taxes so other nations can go to war. Yes, they're out of control, but yes, we are also commanded to pay taxes. And in case you're just like, well, that's just Paul talking to the Roman Christians at that time. That doesn't apply to us. That's not what Jesus said. It's not red letters, right? Well, turn back with me to Luke in chapter 20. We should print a Bible that every word's in red. Luke 20 and verse 21. It says, And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? Now remember the word tribute means tax. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You know, they, this wasn't a legit question either. This was them trying to trip up Jesus, which was impossible, but that's what they were trying to do. But he perceived their craftiness and said unto, him, unto them, Why tempt ye me? Show me a penny. Whose image and subscription hath it? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God. Jesus very plainly says to pay taxes. What Jesus is saying here was contrary to the common thought at that time too. The, the men that collected taxes, they were called publicans. Not to be confused with Republicans, even though they would tax you too. The publicans, they were a hated class of people. Not simply because they were tax collectors, though. That's not the, the only reason they were hated. I know, as you know, a lot of us don't like to pay taxes, so just being a tax collector could make me not like you, but that wasn't the only reason. If, say, Rome's tax was 10%, we'll just say that, they would go around and they would collect 15% and keep for themselves the other 5%. And the people knew this. So that's what they would do. They would go to your door and say, Rome, you're to pay your tax to Rome, which is 15%. 
And Rome actually only taxed you 10%, so they take the extra 5% and keep it to themselves. They're thieves. Sounds like our current government. This, I'm telling you right now, this one ain't going to make it on Facebook or YouTube. They were hated among the people. Especially if they're a Jew. A Jewish publican was hated not only for being a tax collector, but for being a traitor. For working for Rome to collect taxes from the Jews. He was a sellout. However, Jesus comes along and not only says pay taxes, he chooses as one of his disciples, Matthew, who was a publican. Who was a Jewish publican. He chose the, one of the most hated people in that culture and says to him, follow me. Let me say this as well. Being a publican or a tax collector wasn't a sin. They sinned in their greed and deception and stealing from the people, but simply collecting of taxes wasn't a sin. It's actually, as we see here and back in Romans, a command of God to pay taxes. So these governing officials that God ordained to punish evildoers and reward the righteous, we are to pay for. That's what taxes are for. That's what they're supposed to be for. You see how this is the same way we should be in the church, as I mentioned in the intro. God has set up his church, and whether we like the language or not, he has set up men to rule over the church. That's his language, not mine. It says Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. And it says in 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders that rule will well be counted worthy of double honor. Now we are called to expound the word of God to the people and to take care of God people, God's people. And evildoers are to be exposed and rejected. God has set up that governmental system for his church. And whether we like that language or not, we are commanded to pay for it. And this obviously is not one of my favorite subjects as a pastor. But we can clearly see the parallels here. The government out here is established by God for a specific purpose and we are to pay for them. The church's government is established by God for a specific purpose and we are to pay for it. And to both, we are to submit to the rule. That's God's word. And I know that this goes against the grain a lot in our culture, but when hasn't true biblical Christianity went against the grain? When has swimming upstream ever been easy? But it's the fact that if we want to call ourselves Christians, we ought to obey God and His Word. So in closing of the doctrinal portion, God has ordained the powers that be, and we are to submit to them. Though we are not to submit to them when they command us to disobey God, we are to submit to the higher power. But their laws that don't contradict the word of God, we are to obey. And we ought to pay taxes to have them as governing officials. And we ought to do all of this because we want to honor God and see his kingdom advanced in this world. And if you want the government to change, 
There's one, really one way to do it, through regenerated hearts and minds that focus on God and His Word. So either we preach Christ to them and see hearts changed or we get into government ourselves. And don't believe the lie that separation of church and state means that Christians shouldn't be in office. It means the state has no rule within the church in her doctrine and practice. Obviously, there could be so much more said on this subject. But for now, obey God's word, even if it's not easy. And this can be very hard sometimes. But by but his name and his glory are more important than mine. Let's move into our application here. The call to faith and repentance. And as always, I go to the unbeliever. If there's anybody in here that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. As always, these, though these commands in here should be practiced by you, Paul is addressing believers in Rome. What, would, what Paul would say to you and what I would say to you is, don't look to these commands as justification before God. If you obey the government and die in your sins, you still will go to hell. What you need is perfect righteousness before God, and obeying the government can never give you that. What you need is something that you cannot produce. You being born in sin are a sinner not only by birth, but by your practice. And due to this, you will stand condemned before God. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What you need is Christ and His righteousness. You want to be just before God? You want your sins taken away? There's only one way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. He is the only one who kept God's law perfectly fulfilling righteousness. He is the only one who could die a substitutionary death for sin under the wrath of His Father, appeasing God's justice. He is the only one who not could not only lay down His life, but once again take it back up through resurrection from the dead. And He is the only one who ascended to the Father's right hand where He sits down and makes intercession for His people. Mary doesn't do this. Muhammad doesn't do that. Buddha does not do that. Only Jesus Christ does that. You need Him as your mediator between God and man. And without Him, you will perish. And I don't care how good you think you are. God demands perfection. And I've yet, in almost 43 years now of my life, have yet to meet that perfect person. So look to Him who is mighty to save. Believe upon Him and repent of your sins today. And to us believers here, this portion of Scripture is very hard, isn't it? It's very hard for me, who's naturally a rebel, to obey people that we disagree with. To obey people that just want to use you for money and power. It's hard to believe that. It's hard to obey that. However, that's what God's called us to do. Now, me, as a post-mill guy, believes it when Psalm 72 says, all kings and nations will bow before Him in worship. 
That one day this earth will be filled with Christian nations and Christian leaders, and therefore this command will be much easier to obey then. Because I'm just obeying my brother. However, right now, looking at our government, yeah, I don't care which side they're on. They say the right wing or the left wing, they're both are still the same bird, right? It's almost always about money. To continue to raise taxes, thinking of new things to tax. It's always about money. Actually, if they could tax you for the air that you breathe, they would, be, they would do that. And the thing is, they don't produce money. They need us to produce money so they can take it. But let me ask you this. If God tells you to do something, should you do it? Or should you seek to find a loophole around it? I see this often. The plain language says something we don't like, so we seek to somehow get around it. The plain language is submit to the government and pay them. That's the plain language of the text right there. So we ought to believe that. Those men that we saw that disobeyed in Daniel and in Peter with Peter and John, we saw that they disobeyed. I guarantee if you asked them today if we are to obey the government, they would tell you yes. Yes, it was right to obey Nebuchadnezzar until he contradicts the word of God and wants you to disobey God. But the fact remains that obedience to the government is a good thing and we ought to believe it and we ought to repent for those times that we didn't obey because they are the ordinance of God. They are, as it says right there, the deacon of God. Now let's go to, into our last point here, our call to war. In our day and culture, it's still legal to go preach the gospel. It's still legal to have church services. This is not true all the way around the world, though, is it? It's not true throughout the whole earth today. There are underground churches meeting today. There are nations where you will be put to death for preaching Jesus Christ. So we so should we not take full advantage of this in our nation? Should we not make excuses to actually be in church on Sunday? Or be out on the street corner preaching? Nothing should get in the way of this. Do you think the men and women meeting in underground churches around the world could make excuses for not being part of a church. That would be easy, right? It's legal. Sorry, guys, I'm, I'm not going to church. It's illegal. But what are they doing? They are meeting. They are meeting differently than what we are. They don't go put on their Sunday best. They might meet in a mud hut. Barefoot, like Ben. But they're meeting. And it's illegal. Could they not just say like we hear often? 
I do church in my car. Or I don't need to go and be in a church because I am the church. Those are both false statements, actually. And we should not think them. The church is the ecclesia. The assembly of called out ones. That's what the word means. It's an assembly of called out ones. That's what the church is. It's a group of individuals that have been called by God. So yes, you need to be in community if you're to be part of the church. But the old saying is true though, right? Good times produce weak men. In America today, we have that good time, don't we? You don't have to wake up this morning and come. But you can. We have that today in America where we can just come and go without fearing persecution, right? That time when you can walk around with your Christian t-shirt on and proclaim his name while at the same time not laying down your life for him. I can tell you what, I guarantee if you were in Iran, a Christian t-shirt business would not be booming. If you ever thought I'm going to move to Iran and open a Christian t-shirt business and I'll be rich, you're so sorely mistaken. You do that and one thing you will be doing is standing before the Lord because you'll be put to death. But here in America, we can do that, can't we? It's easy. We can go stand out on a street corner and the worst thing that typically happens is some heckler comes by and makes fun of us. Your daddy God in the sky that you talk to. Go somewhere with that language. Or maybe the police show up, right? And they try to shut you down. As I quoted our First Amendment right, I'm allowed to be out here, officer. I'm not going to resist you, but I am allowed to be out here. And you are held to the same standard that I am because you obey the Constitution. And you swore to obey the Constitution. And then they should leave. That's not always the case. But that's the way it should be. We have the right and the privilege to go out and preach Christ. To actually have a church service that is open to the public without fear of persecution. Yet we think of excuses not to be part of it. Shame on us for that. This is our war that we are part of. If you want to say like Paul did at the end of his life, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. This is the fight. Being a part of the community of faith and laying down our lives for the advancement of God's kingdom. Giving everything we have to see God's church not only grow, but also be edified while you have time. This is our war, brethren. This is a fight that God has called you to. Will we take advantage, full advantage of the freedoms we have in this country? Or will we become weak men full of excuses? And women. I pray the former. I pray that we lock arms together in doing this for the advancement of God's kingdom and the glory of His name. Amen.